June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cashback really adds up. Tonight, nearly half of the country, including two of America's biggest states, now reporting spikes in coronavirus cases. As some states press the pause button on reopening, a major American city warns it's on the precipice of disaster. And new CDC guidelines from hosting cookouts to traveling for summer vacation. What your family needs to know. Bolton bombshell. Why the president's former national security advisor says the president's impeachable conduct went beyond Ukraine. New details tonight as he blasts his former boss. Brianna's law. Louisville bans no-knock police raids after Brianna Taylor's death. We speak to her mother about the new law named after her daughter. $1 million pension? Why fired officer Derek Chauvin could collect $1 million even if he's convicted. Costly misconduct. A CBS News investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department turns up a history of lawsuits, costing taxpayers millions. How some officers racked up multiple complaints and stayed on the force. Back on the fairway, no fans and a silent tribute, professional golf marks a return in a changed world. And when is baseball coming back? CBS's Steve Hartman and a young fan try to find out with the help of a sports icon. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with an alarming increase in coronavirus cases across nearly half of the country, including in two of America's largest states. Texas and Florida are now seeing their highest number of new cases since the pandemic began, even as they push forward with reopening. Officials in Houston say the area is nearing a disaster and that they may need to use NRG Arena as a temporary hospital because of a record increase in infections. Tonight, the CDC is warning the death toll 
from the virus could reach 140,000 by July 4th, and so it's issuing new guidance, including for organizers of large gatherings. After two weeks of nationwide protests, the Centers for Disease Control now says anyone attending large gatherings, especially ones that include shouting, chanting, and singing, should wear a face mask. Now, those new recommendations come as the president is heading to West Point tomorrow to deliver a commencement address to more than 1,000 cadets, and just as he's planning to start holding rallies again next week. As President Trump's urging, the Republican Party is also ditching its plan to hold this year's convention in North Carolina due to restrictions the governor there has placed on large gatherings. The president will now accept his party's presidential nomination in Jacksonville, Florida, where he's expected to speak to a crowd as big as 15,000 people in an indoor arena. There's a lot of news to get to tonight, and our team of correspondents is standing by to cover it all. CBS's Janet Shamling is going to lead off our coverage tonight from Houston. Janet? Nora, Houston opened to 75% today, as did all of Texas, but it might not last. Officials in this region are cautioning that they may need to order people back home and order this building, NRG Arena, which is next to Houston's football stadium, as a COVID hospital as cases surge in the nation's fourth largest city. A dire warning tonight amid a record week for COVID-19 cases in the Houston area and across Texas. I'm growing increasingly concerned that we may be approaching the precipice, the precipice of a disaster. The outbreaks come as restaurants like the Dunlady reopen to 75% capacity. We're able to now have parties of 10. But restarting the economy is taking its toll, says Lena Hidago a top elected official for 5 million people in Harris County, which includes Houston. We've had the highest hospitalization number this Monday. It's only grown from there. The numbers we're seeing are very significant. 14 states have seen a spike in coronavirus hospitalization since Memorial Day, and the death toll is now expected to reach almost 170,000 by October, more than 50,000 additional deaths over the next few months. We've already uncorked the genie. We got our wish, which was to end the home quarantine orders. And now we're seeing people treat that as if COVID-19 is no longer an issue. And that's far from the fact. The CDC spoke publicly with its first telebriefing in three months today, issuing guidelines which include bringing your own food and drinks to a cookout, waving at people instead of hugging, sanitizing hands after using an ATM, and taking the stairs instead of a hotel elevator. It comes as Florida reported its biggest one-day jump in cases today and a record high number in South Carolina this week. Oregon and Utah now delaying their openings a week after cases there continue to surge. And in the race for a vaccine, Johnson & Johnson today announced it's moving up human trials set for the fall to July. And those new CDC guidelines today, they call for wearing a mask in all large gatherings. Tonight here in Houston, we're at what's called a code orange. That's an uncontrolled transmission of the infection. The hospitals still have room right now, Nora, but they may not for long. Nora. Janet Shamlin in Houston tonight, thank you. The president was out of view today at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. He'll turn 74 years old on Sunday and is preparing to host his first campaign rally since the pandemic began. Weijia Zhang is at the White House tonight. Weijia. Nora, President Trump is eager to get on the campaign trail, but everyone who attends that upcoming rally has to sign a waiver agreeing not to sue the campaign or the venue if they contract coronavirus. 
President Trump is defying CDC guidelines recommending against large gatherings, barreling forward with plans to resume campaign rallies starting next week. And a Republican convention in Jacksonville in August with delegates filling a 15,000-seat arena. RNC officials have suggested they want a crowd-like setting without mandatory social distancing or face coverings. Tomorrow, the president will be at the center of another packed event, delivering the commencement speech at the West Point Military Academy. More than 1,000 cadets will be socially distant for an outdoor celebration, which will still defy New York's guidelines. Graduation ceremonies are not allowed until June 26th, with a limit of 150 people. A group of more than 500 West Point alumni posted an open letter to the graduates condemning the administration's use of force against protesters. They wrote, sadly, the government has threatened to use the army in which you serve as a weapon against fellow Americans engaging in these legitimate protests. Meanwhile, another former aide is taking aim at President Trump. John Bolton, who served as national security advisor, says in a new book the president was concerned only with getting reelected and that misconduct in his foreign policy went beyond Ukraine. The nation's top military leaders have also spoken out about the way Mr. Trump has deployed U.S. troops. He was asked if their comments are significant. No. I don't think so. No, I mean, I, if that's the way they feel, I think that's fine. Um, I have good relationships with the military. CBS News has learned that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, was so upset about the episode clearing out protesters so President Trump could have a photo op that he considered resigning. Milley said taking part in it was a mistake, a comment that took the White House by surprise. Nora? We just hang at the White House tonight. Thank you. In Kentucky tonight, just days after what would have been Breonna Taylor's 27th birthday, the Louisville City Council has passed a new law named in her honor. Taylor's death at the hands of police has received new attention amid the outcry over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. CBS's Jerika Duncan sat down for an emotional interview with Breonna's mother. Say her name! Breonna Taylor! After heated protests and emotional pleas, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher signed Brianna's law today. Under the new law, police will no longer be able to enter a suspect's home without announcing who they are, and they must wear body cameras. Taylor's mother, Tamika Palmer. It means that she have saved someone else, and that's really the, the big thing here, because this shouldn't have happened to her. It was nearly three months ago, March 13th, that police used a battering ram to enter Taylor's apartment after midnight, believing it was being used by a drug dealer to receive packages. While the plain-clothed officers contend they identified themselves, Taylor's boyfriend says they did not, and he opened fire to defend himself against what he thought were intruders. He later called 911 with Taylor in his arms after she was shot by police at least eight times. Can you get her turned over on her back? There's been a dramatic increase in the use of no-knock warrants over the last 40 years, mainly for drug-related crimes, with a nearly 7,000% increase. Seth Stoughton is a law professor at the University of South Carolina. If officers aren't knocking and announcing, the individuals inside may not know who is breaking down their door which creates potential for error. 
The three officers involved in the shooting death of Taylor have been put on administrative leave while the investigation is pending. This week, police released a puzzling, mostly blank incident report. In it, it lists Breonna Taylor's injuries as none, despite being shot at least eight times by police. The department has since acknowledged the error. Meanwhile, what happens next to those three officers involved in this case? Well, that will be up to the state attorney general. Nora? Jerika Duncan, thank you. Tonight's CBS News takes you inside the Seattle neighborhood, now known as CHAZ. That's short for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. The blocked-off area was set up by protesters after days of clashes with police following the death of George Floyd. The so-called no-cop co-op has stirred up tensions in Seattle and a threat from President Trump. Here's CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti. Tonight, a four-block area surrounding Seattle's Capitol Hill Police Precinct, free of cops and occupied by activists. I need my village. People the president labels anarchists and domestic terrorists. The group set up a perimeter and declared it an autonomous zone four days ago. That's when, in an effort to de-escalate tensions with protesters, police left the area. It's a scene reminiscent of New York's 2011 Occupy Wall Street tent city. Seattle's police chief and mayor are giving these protesters their soapbox as a less patient president threatens to send in troops. These people are not going to occupy a major portion of a great city. The threat to invade Seattle, to divide and incite violence in our city, is not only unwelcome, it would be illegal. Mayor Durkin is calling it a peaceful expression of collective grief. The activists are demanding police reform and social equality. Until then, they say they're staying put. Jonathan Vigliotti, CBS News. We turn now to a CBS News investigation. Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was accused of misconduct 17 times before the death of George Floyd. The complaints aren't limited to Chauvin. We've uncovered a history of excessive force allegations resulting in millions of dollars in settlements. Here's CBS's Jeff Pegues with tonight's investigation. In 2012, Zach King was leaving a Minneapolis nightclub when he was stopped by the police. He had a handgun that he was legally permitted to carry. He's like, hey, what's that bulge on your, on your waist? I show him my hands, I, hey, I have a concealing carry, and that's my, my gun, my weapon. And like six officers just came from out of everywhere. They got their knee on me, like almost like George Floyd. I couldn't breathe. King was hospitalized with a concussion, his face swollen with cuts and bruises. I didn't do anything to anybody, and I was violated. King sued the department, which argued he didn't tell them he had a gun permit until later. He got a $122,000 settlement. Ultimately, who's paying the tab for those settlements? Residents of the city of Minneapolis. We've seen similar culture of abuse um, in other large cities across the country. Since 2003, Minneapolis has paid out $45 million in settlements. This year alone, Los Angeles has paid more than $6 million in settlements. Chicago, more than $14 million. New York, since 2015, more than a billion dollars. Zach King says it was Officer Joshua Stewart who led the assault against him. Since the incident, a CBS News investigation found nine more misconduct complaints have been made against him, none resulting in discipline. What do you make of that? It's, it's pitiful. It's like, it's ridiculous. 
The Minneapolis Police Department told CBS News that previous conduct and nature of current offense are factors that can be figured into discipline. King says not all police are bad. His little brother is a cop. They just need to be held accountable. If you sit back and watch a bad cop do bad stuff, you're a bad cop too. Minneapolis police still rebuilding its reputation after George Floyd's death says the officer involved in Zach King's case is still on the job. And if Derek Chauvin is convicted, he could still be eligible for a pension that could net him more than a million dollars. Nora. Jeff Pegues, thank you. After three months of watching reruns, live PGA golf has returned. As CBS's Jim Axelrod reports, the broadcasts are a reminder of how much has changed. Nearly three months after the PGA Tour suspended its season, and after a minute of silence in the memory of George Floyd, this was the week the tour teed it back up and let it rip, COVID style. No fans, no stands, and plenty of protocols to protect everyone there. Are you aware of sort of what a big deal this is culturally? Very much so. And, tour uh, Commissioner Jay Monahan say says players, caddies, and tour staff were tested before they even got to Fort Worth and are tested each day they are there. You've got to be willing to adapt and be flexible because the world is changing with this virus every single day. The world's top five golfers are playing this week, including second-ranked John Rahm, who says he'll miss the crowds. Will that affect how you or other players perform? I don't know. I can't tell you. I mean, where usually if you hit a good shot, you'll be able to tell by the crowd reaction. This time you have no idea. We begin with the best shot of the day, Sung Kang. Yesterday, golfer Sung Kang didn't just make a good shot. He made a perfect shot, a hole in one. Then, crickets. Even the broadcasters are adapting. CBS Sports has fewer technicians in the truck, and some announcers are calling the shots from studios hundreds of miles away. But like fans everywhere, they'd rather sports on TV with some changes than no sports at all. Jim Axelrod, CBS News. I love it. Grip it and rip it. Major League Baseball players and owners still can't agree on restarting their season. So one of baseball's biggest fans is appealing to a higher authority. CBS's Steve Hartman is on the road. For the boys of summer, this has been one dark winter. Little League's canceled, pro baseball in limbo. Like the Yankees. 10-year-old Jake Curzon of South Elgin, Illinois, says kids in his neighborhood are devastated. We were just sad to hear that COVID-19 stopped baseball. What would you give to have baseball back? We would give anything. And that's why, not long ago, Jake reached out to the only person he knew who could both understand the depth of his sorrow and might be in a position to help. He poured his heart out in a letter and addressed it to Mr. Babe Ruth. Never mind the Yankee great died 72 years ago. Jake was determined to get a message through to him. And he thought the best way to do that was to send the letter here to the Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York, where Ruth is buried. And sure enough, the staff conveyed the message, posting it right on his marker so the babe couldn't miss it. Jake wrote, I thought you would be interested in knowing this is the year 2020 and we are in a world pandemic. They canceled baseball. We all have kept praying for this to end. Was your thinking that if he knew that this was affecting baseball, he might step in and help? Yeah, 
because it's the sport he loves and he plays. What did you want him to do? Since he's like a guardian angel now, I wanted him to somehow make this pandemic to stop. You think he got your message? I think so. <laughs> now, every time Jake sees someone released from the hospital or hears good news about a vaccine, he knows the babe is doing everything he can to bring back baseball and make the world as it was. So our sincere thanks to this imaginative little leaguer who found a major league way to help. Do you think you could ask him to help the Tigers win a World Series? Because I've been rooting for that and I haven't had much luck. Or do you think that's a bridge too far? I don't, I don't think you'll answer. <laughs> I guess I'll try. Joe DiMaggio. Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. We too are hoping for an end to it. This Sunday on 60 Minutes, we introduce you to the small federal agency that's supposed to protect 2 million government workers, but has been leaderless for over a year and now has a backlog of thousands of cases. And if you can't watch the CBS Evening News Live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in our nation's capital. Stay safe this weekend and good night. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first, because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight plus acres of family owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg. Hey everybody, John Stewart here. I am here to tell you about my new podcast, The Weekly Show. It's going to be coming out every Thursday. So exciting. You'll you'll be saying to yourself, TGIT. Thank God it's Thursday. We're going to be talking about all the things that hopefully obsess you in the same way that they obsess me. The election, economics, earnings calls. What are they talking about on these earnings calls? We're going to be talking about ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. And I know that I listed that fourth, but in importance, it's probably second. I know you have a lot of options as far as podcasts go, but how many of them come out on Thursday? I mean, talk about innovative. Listen to The Weekly Show with Jon Stewart wherever you get your podcasts.